All right. Now, last week we uh, were in Ezekiel chapter 38, talking about Gog and Magog. And uh, tonight we're in chapter 39 with the same subject because these two chapters go hand in hand right together. Uh, and they describe the war or the battle that's going to happen. Uh, it's referred to as the Ezekiel War because, of course, it's found in the book of Ezekiel. And uh, we're going to talk about it tonight from chapter 39. Uh, and it is uh, sort of a, an amplification of what we looked at last week that covers some of the same, it covers the same battle, but just kind of from a different perspective. And so we're going to be looking at that tonight. And before we actually get into the text of chapter 39, I want to point something out to you about 38 and 39 that go together that I did not mention last week. Actually, these two chapters have within them seven messages. And you can know which, when each message starts by these particular words, if you will look at chapter 38 and verse 3. Chapter 38 and verse 3. Here it says, And say, Thus says the Lord God. Every time you see that phrase in these two chapters, it begins a different part of the message that Ezekiel is bringing at that particular time. You find that in verse 3 of chapter 38, and then you find it also in verse 10 of chapter 38, then in verse 17 in verse 38, and I skipped one, verse 14 as well, all of those in chapter 38, and then in chapter 39, I'll go ahead and give you the verses if you're writing them down. Chapter 39, verse 1. Chapter 39, verse 17. And then verse 25 in chapter 39. So as you read through those two chapters, it kind of gives you an idea of the different subject matter that God gave to Ezekiel to preach to the people or to preach to, uh, and we'll, as we'll see tonight, uh, preach to something other than people. And you say, well, what did he preach to other than people? Well, in 37, he preached to dry bones, but in 39, he's going to preach to another category of, of living people or living things. And I'll get to that in just a few moments. So we're going to uh, just go through this uh, verse by verse tonight, although we've got three points. So point number one is this, the Lord will defeat Gog and his forces. And just as a reminder, Gog is the ruler of these, uh, of the, I believe, the nation uh, of uh, Russia or some uh, confederation of Russia, along with the other allies that we mentioned last week in the uh, first few verses of chapter 38. And he is going to come with these armies together. They're going to come from the north, even though some of them are, uh, are located in the south, south of Israel. They're all going to join together and attack Israel from the north. But when they get there, they're going to find out that they don't have the army that they think they do. It's a huge number of people, but God is going to defeat not only Gog, the leader, but also the forces. Look with me now at chapter 39, starting to read at verse 1. And you, son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, thus says the Lord God. Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and I will turn you around and lead you on 
bringing you up from the far north and bring you against the mountains of Israel. Now, we've just read those two verses. Look back for one more moment here at chapter 38, verses 1 and 2, and you're going to read very similar words that God gave to Ezekiel when he first began this, uh, this magnificent message. Verse 1, Son of man, now the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. I will turn you around, put hooks in your jaws. Now that's a graphic picture, isn't it? And lead you out with all your army, horses, and horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. So you see, again, we're going to see uh, this same, these, these same words or similar words as he begins this next portion of this message. And so what's he going to say and what is he going to do? What is God, uh, the Lord, actually going to do against this ruler? Look at verse 3 now, back in chapter 39. Then I will knock the bow out of your left hand and cause the arrows to fall out of your right hand. It is, of course, a picture of an archer, someone who has a weapon, a bow in one hand and arrows in the other hand, and uh, he would be holding the bow uh, with his left hand, uh, shooting with his right hand. But God says, I'm going, to, I'm going to disarm you. I'm going to knock the bow out of one hand and knock the arrows out of your other hand. And then in verse 4, you shall fall upon the mountains of Israel, you and all your troops and the peoples who are with you. I will give you to birds of prey of every sort and to the beasts of the field to be devoured. So first of all, he says, I'm going to disarm you. Then he says, you are going to die. Verse 5, you will fall on the open field for I have spoken. And who is it that is bringing defeat to Gog and the people who are with him? It is the Lord himself. He says, I will disarm you and you will die. There's no doubt about who is in charge. God has been in charge, he is in charge, and he always will be in charge. He is the sovereign Lord and he directs people or nations to do one thing or another. And uh, there, there are people, of course, we all make our own decisions and God doesn't um, make us do anything. He doesn't uh, uh, force us against our will to do anything. But God has a grand scheme of things and he is going to bring about what he is going to bring about. And therefore, when he says, Gog, you're going to come into Israel from the north, and when you do, I'm going to disarm you, and you are going to die. You're going to fall on the mountains. You're going to fall on the open field. Then look at verse 6. And I will send fire on Magog and on those who live in security in the coastlands. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. So here's what's going on. At the same time that this battle is happening in Israel, as the forces led by this man named Gog are engaging in this battle, God says, the Lord says, I'm going to visit destruction upon the countries from which you have come. You think you're coming to Israel to plunder and to kill, 
That's what we saw last week in chapter 38. Gog, in planning what he's going to do, says, I've got a great idea. I'm going to get my army and others. We're going to invade Israel. We're going to take their wealth. We're going to kill them. We're going to just overrun this entire country. God says, no, you're not. You're going to come, but you're going to lose. And so the Lord says, I'm going to disarm you at the same time that I'm defeating you in battle. I'm going to visit your homelands with destruction. That's what he means when he says here in verse 6, I will send fire on Magog. Magog is the country where Gog was from. But I believe he's including all of the other countries as well because he says here, and, and those who live on uh, insecurity in the coastlands. And that's a word that means countries that are some distance from Israel. So, so, so Gog is going to have a complete reversal of fortune. He's not going to live. He's going to die. His army is going to be defeated. And where he came from is also going to be destroyed. And then look at verse 7. So I will make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not let them profane my holy name anymore. Then the nations shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. Verse 8, surely it is coming and it shall be done, says the Lord God. This is the day of which I have spoken. So he says here in verses 7 and 8, I'm doing this so that they will know that I am the Lord, that I am the one true and living God. I have power to destroy. I have power to give life. I have power to give victory, and I'm going to exercise my power. I'm telling you now before it happens so that you can know for sure that when it happens, I told you ahead of time, you can know that I am true, that what I say comes to pass. Everything that God has said in his word is coming to pass. It either has already been fulfilled or will yet be fulfilled because he is the one true living God. He is not a man that he should die. He says in the, that, he should, uh, that he should lie, he says in the word, but rather he always tells the truth. So we know this is going to come about. Has not happened yet. Remember, as I told you last week, I believe this battle, uh, so-called so or war, is going to happen immediately after or soon after the rapture of the church uh, when he's going to then come against Israel. There's, a, there's several reasons I believe that, but I believe that's when it's going to happen. The church will be gone. We're out of here. Uh, and so there'll be lawlessness. We think there's lawlessness in the streets now in our own country and around the world, and there is. But it's going to grow exponentially once the church is gone from this world. And so uh, the nations, they will recognize that the God whom they had despised, whom they had rejected, whom many of them would say they don't even believe he exists, he is going to show them finally, fully, completely, and totally that he is who he says he is. Surely, verse 8, it is coming. It's going to happen. So the Lord will defeat Gog and his forces. Point number two. Uh, no, I'm not, I'm not to point number two yet. Excuse me. I'm still in point number one. Thank you for keeping up with me. Uh, uh, verses uh, 9 and 10 speak of the weapons 
that Gog and his armies had carried into Israel and what happens to them. Then those who dwell in the cities of Israel will go out and set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields. Now, there's seven different kinds of armor or weapons here. Both the shields and bucklers, the bows and arrows, the javelins and spears, and they will make fires with them for seven years. Now, friends, that is a lot of wood to burn. If it takes seven years to burn all the weapons that have been uh, removed from these armies because they have invaded Israel, they have died, they've left their weapons, and the Israelites, they leave their cities, they come out, and they find all these weapons. All the soldiers are dead. All the weapons are just laying around. And so they say, man, this is awesome. This is great. We don't have to cut down any more trees for a long time. And so they just get all these, all these wooden uh, instruments, the bows, the arrows, the shields, the bucklers. Uh, most of them in that day were made out of wood. And he's speaking here about the future. And so that's what we're looking forward to, or they're looking forward to coming in the future. They're going to burn all of these uh, wooden uh, uh, weapons, and they will look at verse 10. They will not take wood from the field, nor cut down any from the forest, because they will make fires with the weapons, and they will plunder those who plundered them and pillage those who pillaged them, says the Lord. These armies had come with the thought in mind that they would pillage Israel, but the reverse is going to happen. Then look with me at verse 11. We're talking now about the bodies of those who have died and what's going to happen to them. It will come to pass in that day that I will give Gog a burial place there in Israel, the valley of those who pass by east of the sea. And he's talking there about the Dead Sea, not the Mediterranean. It's the Dead Sea. Israel is bordered on the east and the west by a sea. On the west, by the Mediterranean Sea. On the east, by the Dead Sea. He's talking here about the Dead Sea. And it will obstruct travelers because there they will bury Gog and all his multitude. Therefore, they will call it the valley of Haman Gog. The word Haman there means multitude. So there's going to be so many soldiers buried. It's a multitude of soldiers who died invading Israel, and all of them are going to be buried. Look at verse 12. For seven months, the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. Seven months it's going to take them to bury all the dead. They're going to bury them, and we'll see this in a moment, east of the Dead Sea in what is present-day Jordan. And the reason for that, the reason that they're burying them is, of course, that's what you do, but they want to cleanse the land of all of these unbelievers, even their bones were to be taken out of the country of Israel. And at the end of, uh, wait, here we go, verse 13, indeed, all the people of the land will be burying, and they will 
gain renown for it on the day that I'm glorified, says the Lord. They're going to be famous burial people in that day. Now, that's kind of odd sounding, isn't it? But he says uh, they will gain renown for it. They will, they will set apart men regularly employed with the help of a search party to pass through the land and bury those bodies remaining on the ground in order to cleanse it. At the end of seven months, they will make a search. The search party will pass through the land, and when anyone sees a man's bone, he shall set up a marker by it till the barriers have buried it in the valley of Haman Gog. The name of the city will also be uh, Hamona, thus they shall cleanse the land. This is going to be such a massive undertaking that they're going to have to build a city over there in Jordan in order to handle the people who are actually doing the burying to give them a place to sleep at night as they go back and forth across uh, the Jordan River uh, into Israel to get the next group of bodies to bury. But it's obviously going to take such a long time that at the end of seven months, they still are not going to have all the bones buried. Uh, by that time, uh, some of the uh, bodies will have disintegrated to the point that this, there's just bones left. And so when somebody walks through the nation of Israel and they find a bone there, they, they're not supposed to touch it. According to the law of Moses, they would be unclean. And so they don't do that, they, but they do put a marker there so that those who are doing the burying of the bones will be able to find it, remove it, and take it over across the Dead Sea, across the Jordan River, and bury it as the Lord has commanded them to do. Seven months worth of doing nothing day in and day out. Well, John, what are you going to do tomorrow? Bill, what are you going to do tomorrow? Well, I think I'll bury some bodies tomorrow. Well, um, uh, what are you going to do next week? Well, more of the same. Seven months, day after day after day after day. Point number two, not only will the Lord defeat not only will the Lord defeat Gog and his forces, point number two, the Lord will direct wild animals to a feast. The Lord will direct wild animals to a feast. This is where, when I started out the message, I was talking to you about different things that uh, people are uh, animals, in this case, that God tells Ezekiel to preach to. Look at this, verse 17. And as for you, son of man, thus says the Lord God, speak to every sort of bird and to every beast of the field. And here's what you are to say to them. Assemble yourselves and come. Gather together from all sides to my sacrificial meal, which I am sacrificing for you, a great sacrificial meal on the mountains of Israel, that you may eat flesh and drink blood. You shall eat the flesh of the mighty, drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams and lambs, of goats and bulls, all of them fatlings of Bashan. You shall eat fat till you are full and drink blood till you are drunk at my sacrificial meal, which I am sacrificing for you. You shall be filled at my table with horses and riders with mighty men, and with all the men of war, says the Lord God. Well, I hope that didn't just ruin your dinner tonight <laughs> to, to read about uh, these animals who are going to be eating the fat and drinking the blood 
of all these soldiers whom God will put to death in Israel during this time. And God describes it as a sacrificial meal. What does that mean? It means that God has prepared this meal, all of these soldiers, as, a, as an offering to these wild animals. And, and he tells, he tells Ezekiel, call all these wild birds and wild animals and tell them to come because I have prepared a sacrifice for them. You know, in ancient Israel, they would, the people would sacrifice an animal, a, a bull or a lamb or a goat or, or a bird, whatever it may be. They would sacrifice uh, them as an offering to God. Well, God is reversing this, this time. He is, he is killing some people as a sacrifice so these animals can enjoy the meal that's going to last for them for a long time. So just think about it like this. He says, call out to the birds and to the wild beasts. So here's old Buzz the Buzzard flying along next to Val the Vulture. And they're just flying along. And down on the ground, there's a lion named Leo. And there's a hyena named Hank. And all of a sudden, they hear a voice in their ears calling out to them. Hey, birds. Hey, wild beasts. Hey, Val. Hey, Buzz. Hey, Leo. Hey, Hank. Come on over. I've got a meal like you've never had before. You're going to eat till you can't eat anymore. You don't even have to kill the food. All you've got to do is come, pick the flesh off the bones, drink the blood, and do it till your heart's content, till you can't eat anymore. Now, that sounds gruesome and terrible, doesn't it? But that is what God told Ezekiel to do. That is the judgment of God upon the people who thought they could defeat the, the people of God. But they cannot, and they will not, and their, their um, punishment for having the gall and the audacity to do that is death and to have their bones picked over by wild animals. Then look with me at verses 21 through 24. I will set my glory among the nations. All the nations shall see my judgment, which I have executed, and my hand, which I have laid on them. So the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from that day forward. The Gentiles shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity, because they were unfaithful to me. Therefore, I hid my face from them. I gave them into the hand of their enemies, and they all fell by the sword. According to their uncleanness and according to their transgressions, I have dealt with them and hidden my face from them. So here again, God is saying, I'm going to work my plan exactly as I tell you I'm going to do. He says, I will be exalted among the nations. My judgment, which I have executed, my hand I've laid uh, on them. They will see my glory, and the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord. The Gentiles shall know 
that I sent the Israelites off into captivity, but I also brought them back. And that really is what God is doing. He wants his name to be glorified in all the earth. And people who choose to do that now and today and until all these things happen in the future uh, are glorifying God by their confession of their faith, their profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But even those who refuse to acknowledge him, those who refuse to receive Jesus Christ into their life, one day they also will bring glory to God even in their own death because he is predicting that it's going to happen just because he predicts it doesn't mean individual people don't still have a choice. They certainly do. But those who have hardened their hearts against God and will not receive him, even they one day will give glory to him. And he says, I will set my glory among the nations. So the Lord will direct wild animals to a feast. And in doing so, God will bring glory to his name. And then look with me now at point number three. The Lord will deliver his people back to their land. Look at verse 25. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Now I will bring back the captives of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel. I will be jealous for my holy name after they have borne their shame and all their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me when they dwelt safely in their own land and no one made them afraid, when I have brought them back from the peoples and gathered them out of their enemies' lands and I am hallowed in them in the sight of many nations, then they shall know that I am the Lord their God who sent them into captivity among the nations, but also brought them back to their land and left none of them captive any longer." And I will not hide my face from them anymore, for I shall have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, says the Lord God. So here's God saying, I'm going to bring my people back into their own land. Now, remember that he did that in part. He brought the people back out of Babylon. Not all of them came back from Babylon into Israel. Many of them chose to stay there because for some of them, that's the only life or land they'd ever known. They were born there. They were raised there. Many of them were already old enough to have their own jobs, their own uh, families. But lots of them did come back to Israel. But that was just the beginning. As I told you last week, starting in the, the late 1800s, uh, Jews from all over the world began coming back into Israel. And then in May of 1948, uh, which is happening right now, great celebration in Israel, celebrating their independence, uh, they will, uh, that really was a, a defining moment in the prophetic timetable of God because the Jews have officially now a homeland. For the first time in 2,000 years, and now they have a land to call their own. Uh, since they were driven out of Jerusalem back in A.D. 70 when the Roman general Titus tore down the temple and destroyed the city of Jerusalem, 40 years after they rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, that is, the leaders of Israel rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, 
And Jesus predicted that one day that temple that was standing there at that time would be torn down. Not one stone upon another would be left. Jesus, the infallible predictor of what's going to happen, said this is going to happen. It's going to happen in that generation that was alive at that, at that time. Forty years later, the Roman general Titus came, invaded Jerusalem, tore down the temple, destroyed uh, the city, and the, and the Jewish people had not had a land to call their own until May of 1948, when the United Nations declared that the land of Palestine would officially become the land of Israel. And from that time forward, it has accelerated even further for those Jews who are coming to Israel. It's been sometimes waves of several years, sometimes not as many, but over the course of the last eight to 10 years, it has really increased dramatically. Uh, in fact, Israel, the government of Israel is encouraging as many Jews as possible uh, to, to, to come to Israel, to live. They can have dual citizenship if they want to with their other country where they're coming from. But, uh, but the Israelis are encouraging Jews to come home and live in Israel, and they're doing it from all over the world, from the U.S., from Europe, from Asia, from Africa, from everywhere. They're coming to Israel. And this is in direct fulfillment of Ezekiel chapters 36 uh, and 37. And therefore, they're coming and uh, they're not stopping. This is a part of God's uh, prophetic timetable for Israel. And uh, it's going to continue. And we're going to see God bringing about exactly what he prophesied in history. If you look today and and I'm not a, a predictor. I'm not, I'm not giving you a date or anything like that. We laughed about it last week if you were here, you know, when I predicted when the rapture will come. But um, uh, we will, I'm not giving you a date, but it, it could be a thousand years from now or it could start tomorrow. We don't know the when. What we do know is things are more and more lining up. If you see the countries that are joining forces. Uh, the Abraham Accords, by the way, that uh, were brought about uh, just uh, in the last few years, have done a lot uh, to, to give Israel some security uh, among the uh, Arab nations that are in the general region of the Middle East. And um, uh, if you don't know what the Abraham Accords are, I would encourage you to look it up because they're significant uh, agreements that have been made between Israel and some of their former Arab enemies. And uh, it's given Israel some, uh, some security in their land. But on the other hand, there are other nations that, uh, are hate, uh, that hate them, such as Iran uh, and um, Syria. Uh, Turkey has been on and off. They, uh, they're not really friendly with Israel uh, either. And so those three countries in particular are going to be part of those who are against Israel as well as the others that we mentioned last week from Ezekiel chapter 38. But if you, if you look even today at what's happening in the Middle East, it's like you're reading a page out of the Word of God. It is we're seeing prophecy fulfilled before our very eyes. And I believe the next thing that uh, 
will happen. And again, I don't know when it will happen, but I believe that uh, the rapture of the church is going to happen. Also, be looking for the destruction of the city of Damascus, which is the capital city of Samaria. Uh, uh, excuse me, of Syria, the capital city of Syria. Prophet Isaiah prophesied that it would be totally destroyed. It has not been yet. It will be just before all this begins. So I believe that the rapture of the church will happen and will be gone. The tribulation will begin at that time for seven years on the earth. The Antichrist will appear. The, uh, this Ezekiel war that, I'm t- that we've been talking about the last two weeks, I believe is going to happen pretty much simultaneously with the appearance of the Antichrist. And that's why I believe that it happens at the beginning or near the beginning of the tribulation because the tribulation is seven years long. The church will be in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb. But those who are still on earth will be going through the great tribulation. And how long does it take the Israelites to burn the weapons of the invading armies? It takes seven years to burn all the wood that the, that the invading armies left after they were killed. And so there are other reasons as well, but uh, I, it's not a time to be afraid. It's not a time to um, be fearful about what may happen tomorrow. Uh, we do not need to fear the wrath of God. Those who are here during the tribulation, yes, they will experience the wrath of God, but we will not. We will be Jesus and we'll be enjoying a feast, different kind of feast than those wild birds and animals are having here on earth. (laughs) But we'll be enjoying the marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven with Jesus. And then when that's over, we'll come back with him. When uh, When the trumpet blows and the dead in Christ will rise, then our bodies will rise and we'll be reunited with our bodies. We'll have a brand new body. Won't that be cool? And we'll come back with the Lord. Uh, He will then, that will be the battle of Armageddon at the end of the tribulation. And then after that, Satan will be bound. We'll have the millennium for a thousand years. Satan will be released for a period of time. And then he will ultimately be thrown into the lake of fire along with the beast and the false prophet. And uh, all that's going to happen sometime in the future. It may start before I finish this sentence or it may start 100 years from now, we don't know when. What we do know is that it will happen. So get ready. Get a smile on your face. Look toward the eastern sky, because one of these days or one of these nights, Jesus is coming again.